Hey everybody, welcome to the Disco Posse Podcast. My name is Eric Wright, I'm going to be your host, and this is a fantastic episode by somebody who I've been so lucky to actually connect and then since reconnect with. This has been really cool to see a lot of stuff going on in this ecosystem. So we're going to hear in a second from Warren Schaefer. But before we get into that, I want to give a huge shout out to our fans, friends, and supporters and our sponsors of this podcast, including Veeam Software. I say this because I'm a user of the platform. I really enjoy the team and the way that they approach challenging and dealing with the way that we have to back up and protect our data. Now, this includes everything from your on-premises environment, physical servers, virtual servers, up to your apps, out to the cloud, and in fact, even cloud-native backups. Beyond that, Ashley, what about that SaaS? Don't forget, if you've got stuff in Office 365 or Microsoft Teams, it's not actually protected. Uh, definitely uh, easy to make a mistake. And in fact, let's not even talk about ransomware and all the other craziness that can go on. So if you want to find out more about everything you need for your data protection needs, then you want to talk to the folks at Veeam. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. They'll take you right to a page and you can actually check it out for yourself. Again, go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Also, super happy to see that we've had great uptake from the book. Uh, this is something that I've built and shared out, and I got really good peer review feedback. And in fact, now I got lots of customer review feedback. So thank you very much to everybody who has downloaded and bought the book. If you want to learn about the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that teaches you how to better connect with people and make sure you can engage with customers, prospective customers, and how to really tell a story and get people emotionally invested in the ability for your platform or product to be able to solve a problem. This is great for product marketers, for folks that are in technical sales. Definitely something that uh, I've been very happy, has had a really good response. And if you want to find out more about that, you can easily go to the landing link for that one, which is Velocity Closing. So if you go to velocityclosing.com, it'll take you right to the four-step guide and look for some really cool, neat stuff coming up around rebranding and a neat new thing I'm doing with a company called Rapid Matter. And now let's jump right into the good stuff, which is Warren Schaefer. So Warren is the CEO and founder of Knowable, which is an audio learning platform that is really and truly trying to reinvent and rethink the way we do learning through an audio engagement. Really, really cool. So Warren's just a fantastic human, somebody I had a great conversation with. And like I said, I've been lucky enough to re-engage with him in a couple of other forums and stuff in Knowable uh, on Clubhouse, as well as Twitter Spaces recently. So Warren is really prolific and he and his whole team are doing some really, really neat stuff. You're gonna wanna check out Knowable as well. They got courses from Scott Kelly. They got courses from Alexis Ohanian, uh, startup founder of Reddit and investor. Anyways, so much stuff to talk about. So go check it out. And here is Warren Schaefer. Hi, I'm Warren Schaefer. I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Knowable. We're an audio-first learning platform. You're listening to Disco Posse. And with that, we begin... Uh, Warren, thank you very much. This is uh, definitely one of the areas that I'd really enjoyed being able to get into. I've long time been a fan, obviously as a podcaster, of you know, audio as an opportunity to get into people's uh, day daily lives. And when I got 
uh, wins that you are going to be able to join the show. I was really excited because Noble is really cool. Uh, but before we jump into, we'll talk about Noble, we'll talk about a lot more. Let's talk about you. You've got such an incredible storied history, but for folks that don't already know you, uh, just give yourself a quick introduction and we'll we'll get rolling. Well, first off, Eric, thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. I will give you the, the quick background. I grew up in Southern California. I'm a first generation American. My parents immigrated a couple of years before I was born from communist Romania and landed in, in Orange County of all places. And um, I went to Harvard for undergrad. When I was a teenager, I, I got introduced to audiobooks. And I I think I like to say before they were even cool uh, when <laughs> yeah, on tape. Um, and, and so that, you know, is, is what led me to eventually want to, to start Knowable, which is an audio first learning company, as I mentioned up top. Um, at, after Harvard, I spent a few years working in finance. I worked for a big bank in New York, JP Morgan, and then I worked for a private equity firm on the investing side uh, in San Francisco. And I moved back to LA to be closer to family, teamed up with my current co-founder, Alex, and we ran two companies together. Knowable is our third company. We're, we're a venture-backed company. Um, we launched about a year ago and uh, happy to talk talk about any of it. Yeah. And so there's just literally, I could do a podcast on any one of the things you just talked about uh, and easily fill a, a long and good hour, but we'll kind of cover as much as we can. So you, you talked about your first start and your three-time founder uh, and my guess is that there was probably even a lot more that happened before that. But let's talk about Knowable and, and what you and the team are doing there. And then we'll kind of start to go backwards in time as to what led up to that, where you are today. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've been lucky to work with the same co-founder across a few different businesses. And when we exited our, our last product, Vidme, uh, which, which got acquired by Giphy, uh, we thought about what we, long and hard about what we wanted to do next. And we had this list of a hundred different company ideas from everything from men's skincare products to vinyl records to, to you name it. And at the end of the day, we, we looked at ourselves and thought, what do we really believe is important to the world today? What's going to sustain us for at least a decade of, you know, arguably some of the best years of our lives and some of the most productive years of our lives. And, uh, Alex, my co-founder, his father was a professor uh, at Caltech, and, and um, both of us have seen firsthand how a great teacher can have a huge impact on the trajectory of somebody's life. And so we gravitated towards this idea of education. And there's this great quote by H.G. Wells, who's a sci-fi writer, and in 1920, uh, you know, nearly a century ago, he wrote that history is becoming more and more a race between education um, and catastrophe. And I think that's more true than ever today. Right? There's so much information in the world, but a lot of people aren't getting access to useful knowledge um, that, that they can apply to their lives. So we really built, we really went into the idea of this venture as what can we do in the education space that's gonna be interesting and actionable and, and helpful um, to the world at large. So um, when we looked at the space though, we, we saw that pretty much every player was focused on video. Uh, Masterclass, Udemy, Skillshare, even YouTube, right? All predicated on this idea that if you want to learn in a structured way, you have to stare at a screen in order to do so. Um, I had become a new father and my time was short and I realized I don't have time to sit down and watch these lengthy video courses, but I do have a lot of audio time. And, and same with Alex, when I mean, we were both listening to a lot of podcasts and there was sort of this aha moment of, well, what if we made an audio first learning platform? 
And, and we dug deeper and we realized that, you know, the number one reason that people say they listen to podcasts is because they want to learn new things. And yet there was no company which had established itself as the place for good for you audio. So we're building Knowable to be that place. And it's, it's such a, it, it's always interesting when you hear the story and like the most people, the first thing I think is like, of course, like it makes sense, but there is very much a, it's a, it's a leap to get into an area because like you said, we've, we have this sort of sensation in society that video is the way in which we learn. We have to visually and, and, and orally engage, but it, the truth is it really is like more and more. That's what I find. I mean, especially I'm, I literally have, I've got a, I've got young kids. And so I walk Older around uh, right. four and uh, one and a half and I've got a 19 year old and a 17 year old. So I got a whole range of, wow. So I don't have the, the older ones, they, I, I listen to podcasts because they don't want to talk with me. And then the young ones, because they can't quite talk yet. But, um, but the really fun part of it is that I'd be putting my youngest daughter to bed and, and, you know, just walking around with her and I would just pop on an audio book. And I was listening to book after book over the course of a couple of months. And, and it became a real good way in that helped to really influence a lot of my day-to-day stuff because I was picking up, like you said, it's like, I was picking up lessons. I was learning about how people founded businesses and 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 engaged with people, and it really helped to either reinforce stuff or pick up, you know, new new ways of doing things. And I look so talk about first of all, the methodology is fantastic, right? They say audio is effectively this Gutenberg revolution now in what we can do around engaging with people. But you've not only said we're going to do this as a methodology you've really immediately reached out and got some fantastic people involved as far as the content. So when I, I'm curious, sort of when you thought about here's, here's a method, then we've got to think about the technology. Then we've got to think about what we put on this platform. How did that all kind of come to fruition as you started the, the design phase? Like everything, it's a work in progress and a, a trial by fire. So take a, we, we took our kind of best guess. And, and really the, the mission statement is let's go and find really, really enthusiastic teachers and encourage them to share their inside knowledge, the lessons that could really change the trajectory of somebody's life. So for instance, we've got a course, our, our pilot course is launch a startup and it's led by Alexis Ohanian, who's the co-founder of Reddit and has gone on to become an investor at Initialize Capital and now 776 Capital. And he's, he's really had a front seat over the past 15 years to some of the most transformative companies that have been built in, in our, in our uh, country and world. And what we did was we really pushed him to say, what's the stuff that you wish you knew when you were starting out as, as an entrepreneur? And, and so that's an example of somebody who we're just so excited to have. Um, we also have a course on speaking with confidence, and that's led by Celeste Headley. She's an NPR host, and she also has one of the top 10 TED Talks of all time, and it's on the subject of communication. And so she's written books on the subject of communication. She's truly you know, lived and breathed how to be a better communicator, and she shares similar, similar things. She shares exactly what she knows and, and all the inside things that she's learned over you know, a decade plus of, of expertise in the field. So it's a little bit manual in the beginning, but um, we're, uh, we're, we're slowly and gradually opening up the, the marketplace to allow other people to share their inside knowledge. And, you know, the beauty of audio is that, uh, you can find an audience that there's lower production costs, right? So right. Um, somebody yeah. who has expertise can, with the right tools, um, share that knowledge with, with 
a lot of people at the right time. Yeah, it, when you get into it's funny. I've only just recently started to add video to the elements of the podcast purely on the YouTube side because it's you know people have said it'd be kind of neat and and you know I've I've made the choice to give it a whirl uh, and. But for the most part, it's definitely audio is the is the strongest format. And it's so much easier to do because you can just have a microphone. You don't have to worry about a perfect room set up. Like it's if I took a picture of the room surrounding me, it, it'd probably be horrified by how it looks just because it's I've got a dedicated studio, which is right next to my very small children during the day. So clearly a bad place to try and do, you know, very tight recording, especially when you just get knocked on the door going, Daddy, why are you in there? <laughs> As someone with young kids, you know, you know, finding time that's dedicated uh, is a is a challenge unto itself. It is. Um, it is. Yes, there certainly should be a noble course just on that. <laughs> well, and so, and the other thing too is, I I noticed that you also recently did kind of an AMA style where you're you're engaging with folks, and uh, and I love that you led with this thing of like, well, this could influence ultimately a course on yeah. you know startup founding and. So it's not just that you're going with like pure produced content, but you have a real opportunity in that you can kind of test things out and then, you know, work it into a course from there, which is, which is pretty cool. How did that one come to, you know, uh, your mind when you're thinking, all right, let's just, let's give this a whirl. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you asked about that, Eric. I actually listened to a course called branding for founders. That's on knowable and it features, uh, the, a couple of guys who started Robinhood Snacks, this newsletter, and they really had this statement that stuck out, which is people follow people, they don't follow brands, right? At the end of the day, Elon Musk has way more followers than Tesla does. And that's just because we're all humans and we, we care about the story of the person behind the company. And, and so that, that was sort of an aha moment for me where I realized, oh, I should really put myself out there more and, and be, you know, I'm so enthusiastic about what we're building at Knowable. I use the product, I get so much value from it. And so why not share that enthusiasm directly with people? And so, so I started to become more active on Twitter over the past few months. And I've just seen so much value from building and learning and teaching in public. And, and I think when you bring people into your process, they become more invested and excited. And it, it's just so much more uh, fruitful and, and, and cumulative when multiple people are, are sharing their input as you build. So yeah, you're, what you mentioned is um, yesterday, I you know just said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this course on fundraising. I've been fortunate to raise over $12 million from top investors in Silicon Valley. And I want to share everything I've learned in this course. And, and again, that same premise of what do I wish I knew when I was starting out. Um, but why don't you join me for a live presentation? It's going to be a dry run. It's not going to be flawless and, and perfectly rehearsed. But I, that way I can also answer questions live. I can get, I can hear what people are curious about, what people are confused about, and that will inform the course. And also it will help me generate, you know, interest from people up top. So I, I'm a huge fan of this, this uh, direction. And I think it's something we're gonna be doing a lot more of where we talk to people live and, and then in the process, uh, crystallize what a course should be about. Yeah, it's, it's definitely such a, it's the, the real multimedia approach in that you can have the the structured, you know, formal, you know, like read and edited, you know, ultimate course. But then in the meantime, you get the off the cuff stuff with the ums and the ahs, but it's a real conversation that you're effectively being a part of. And the fact that it can be interactive as well is, is so cool because, you know, and it's, I, I did one myself where I just did a, a small, you know, uh, uh, ebook 
to talk about how to better engage with people through doing uh, technical demos. It was a thing I hear every day. I'm, I'm literally on calls all the time and I'm like, okay, look, we got a t-shirt. Right, right? right. Yeah. And so I literally just said, okay, fine. I said, I, I said, I rage wrote the book. I spent like four, <laughs> four days just like hammering out content. Yeah. And then I did it. And then I did the audiobook for it. Nice. And then I, I do now I'm actually doing these kind of in that style of like, you know, monthly uh, AMAs where like, just invite people on and yep. because then we can say, okay, let's actually talk about it. Cause even the audiobook or like the straight course, I, I don't want to do a full form course until I know what's actually resonating from the content. Right. So it's uh, I love that interactivity and I love that you've taken a real choice to, to go that route. Thanks Eric. Yeah. I love that phrase rage wrote. That is a good <laughs> way to write a book. I'm looking, I, I, I felt so inspired after I did the, this live event yesterday and uh, I, I thought, oh, I really want to turn this into a book, right? I really want to have this crystallized and have the audio format and the course format and the video format because there are this multimedia, there's this realization that just different people want different formats. And so uh, I, I think that I'm so curious how you, to hear more about the book and where did you publish it? Ah, yeah, that was a neat thing. So the there's actually a platform uh, called Samcart, and it was funny. It was literally like this is proof that Instagram advertising works, and it was one mm -hmm. of these things where these it's effectively like kind of a one page funnel style of of hosting platform takes care of everything. But they actually had a full full course on like how to actually build a compelling, you know, the pitch. Uh, you know, how to actually build your content. They have a really, really great course. Um, so I'm, uh, and I said, okay, I'm in, I'll, I'll do this thing, you know? And it was funny when you go through it, you realize this methodology is obviously widely used and and they're just one place to go. So I, but they actually have the hosting for it. I, I used a, a company called Beacon uh, for the publishing. So I just wrote the content, self-published through Beacon and then published as a PDF and then hosted on Samcart. So it's a fairly low lift uh, you know, once I, I did it because I've written stuff before, it was a little easier because I knew what the editing process and what the publishing process was. So for a first timer, it would probably be a little bit more daunting. I was lucky enough to have been through the mill with uh, O'Reilly Media and a few other uh, publishing companies. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it was fun because I literally just said, okay, what's the what's the short version? You know, I didn't want right. to go through this like super like 200 page manual of, of things. I said, let's just hammer it out and, and make it fun. And that's why I liked, I did the audiobook too. I was like, okay, let me just read my own book. It was actually kind of funny to do this. I'm sitting there like you know, looking at my own content, reading it back. I'm like, Oh, it sounds like it's me. <laughs> and where did that, where did that, where did you put the audiobook? That's actually the next one. So I'm, I'm I've definitely did not research well on, on how to do this the best way today. I actually just like literally send it directly to subscribers uh, when they buy the book. It's actually part okay. of the bundle. Um, so I literally am sending MP3s around, but I'm investigating, you know, where to host it because, you know, I'd rather have a place where they can go and and then individually, you know, just grab the audiobook and then get the associated PDF so you can kind of come at it whichever way you you wanted to. We, I know where you can put it. You can put it on Knowable. I think I know a good place to go yeah. then. <laughs> I was, and it was book. funny. I was actually researching the like how to become uh, a contributor, and yeah. and and uh, so I, uh, to be able to put my name alongside of the likes of Scott Kelly and Alexis Ohanian, I would be, I would be honored to be among this crowd. And 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 you like, so platform is amazing. 
what you're doing is really solid. Like you're really, this is a great way to give back and, and empower people through a format that's, it's just a really great opportunity. Obviously, you put a lot into this. It's your third startup. So I'm going to go way back in the way back machine. And yeah. I'm going to imagine that you were probably a, uh, a young person and you had an idea long before most people would think that it's a good time to start a business. Uh, <laughs> no one's a three-time founder. They're a 12-time founder. And <laughs> the last three have been venture funded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So entrepreneurship is part of your, it's in your bloodstream, I'm betting. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, as a kid, my first experience with, with making money was the classic lemonade stand. And we put one, there was basically this one artery into this residential neighborhood. And we put a lemonade stand on one side and then we realized, oh, we should have a lemonade stand on the other side so we can hit people when they come and when they go. And then we ended up, uh, a friend and I, um, my, my friend had a younger sister and we basically employed her to run the rival lemonade stand and <laughs> uh, across the street, uh, across the artery. And, and then we just hired some more of her friends. And that was my first foray into scaling a company. And it, it was really exciting. And I think I've had that itch since, since I was a kid. You were um, like the Howard Schultz of lemonade stands. <laughs> <laughs> Monopolized. Uh, or competing stand. corners. You can, you can <laughs> yeah. How you're doing. A lemonade yeah. stand on every corner. <laughs> you got to catch them on the driver's side. You got to catch them on the passenger <laughs> side. It's, it's all. Well, and it's, it's very interesting. That, and even when you talked about, you know, you've effectively got a founding team that, that yeah. you and, and your, your founding partner work with. And it was neat when you described that. You're like, we literally said, okay, we're ready. I've got like 200 ideas. Which ones yeah. can, should we go with? So the one thing is, it's not about what you do. It's about what you, you're always iterating. You're always mm -hmm. like, you must always be thinking. And then how do you actually sift it down to what you know needs to can actually potentially do this sort of zero to one opportunity or whatever however you want to describe it like which is where do you put your focus when you have all of these ideas it's a huge question i don't think there's i don't think i have a super simple answer for it but i will i'll take a guess at it which is i think i've had the realization and probably too late in life is that you don't actually want to focus on your solution you want to focus on a problem that you're passionate about solving. So that, to me, that was, and that's really the aha moment that for, for this business was, look, we don't know exactly what the right format is for education, the end-all be-all solution, right? But we do know that we want, we see an opportunity to improve, to unlock learning time for people around the world, right? And so that problem, this idea of, oh, I want to keep learning. I want nutritious content in my brain, but I don't have time. I'm a busy parent. I'm a busy entrepreneur. I'm a busy nurse or doctor, right? Um, that, that, that feels like a really big tangible problem. And so starting with the problem that you have and that other people have, I think that's the truest way to, to find clarity on whether it's an idea that you want to work on, right? So start with a problem. Don't start with a solution. You said something really interesting, and I love this phrase, nutritious content for the brain. That's <laughs> probably not the first time you said that. What, when you thought about this, what was, because what was the first thing you thought, this is what I would love to be a host, a, a platform for? Yeah. I love, the, there are a lot of podcasts that I love. And I, when, around the time when, when Noah was 
birth, I was listening to a lot of how I built this episode with Guy Ross. He's a great interviewer. Great and, show, and yeah. Great show. And he interviews founders with amazing stories. But I realized that the, that show doesn't teach anyone how to actually become an entrepreneur. Right? <laughs> there is no tactical advice on how do you find a co-founder? How do you select an idea? How do you meet a venture capitalist? How do you hire a lawyer? Which lawyer should you hire? There's none of that. And so what felt missing was this useful knowledge, this applicable or actionable knowledge. And, and that's, that to me felt urgent. And I think it comes down to that, that problem statement of, look, if you're busy, you don't have time to sift through hundreds of episodes of, of every podcast, even though they might be great and fun to listen to. You want, you want the essence. You want it to be boiled down into, what can I take from this that I can go apply to my own life that can change the trajectory of my life in a positive way? Yeah, and it's it's very interesting. Yeah, and the idea of distilling down, you know, meaningful stuff. And it's in fact one of the areas I'm looking right now is like, how do I distill out all of these amazing lessons that have been collected over the years, you know, now in in the podcast? But there's a lot of really cool conversation wrapped around it. Won't make it into book form, like unless you're Kevin Smith and you go and you just take the Smodcast and you put it into a, a written form. That's all well and good, but I think he had the audience. And and they effectively would have, you know, he could have effectively published most anything, and it would have been well received just because he had such a, a a really sort of loving audience that was ready to receive any of the content. It was great content, anyways. You know, Tim Ferriss obviously similar style that let's just transcribe what we've got. Hmm. Um, but I love this idea of like founders at work. That was the other one as well, which is a great, uh, great book. And it was effectively long form interviews that were then, and the same group of questions were asked. Yeah. And then they were put into, uh, and it was, it's that sort of style, like you said, Warren, of let's not just talk about the success stories. Like let's actually talk about the, the ways, the methods, the lessons, like actual actionable things. Yeah. There's way too many like, oh, it just works, you know, or it was really hard. Like, right. You know, what was really hard? What worked? I, I am not, I'm not richer for having listened to this thing. You, you just told me that you had a problem. I don't know how you got through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and it's really common, right? When you're at the end of the journey, it's hard to remember all the details and, and the practicalities, right? It gets glossed over and, and repackaged in this, you know, hero's journey story that doesn't always mirror the actual nitty-gritty of you know what what was involved yeah it's like the uh say dick wolf who's sort of the the creator of all the law and order franchises he says that great drama is when you take all the boring bits out and compress the rest down to an hour <laughs> totally right you don't see them go to the bathroom or eat a sandwich like no. that just doesn't happen there's no time for that What's interesting is actually if you if you watch a Law and Order, which I've done far too much of in my life, was <laughs> if you look at it every time you hear the gong gong, there's yeah. a date at the bottom on the screen. Hmm. And if you actually look at it, it shows that these basically elapsed over like 18 months, which shows you the really. But it's so subdued and like subliminal almost in the way that it's done. Uh, you think it's happening all at once. Yeah, like it's happening over a week, but it's right. actually happening oh, okay. over like, like 11 months. <laughs> right. Every crime takes so long. Yeah. Right. There may be the first 48, but they don't tell you about the other 4,922, which is really where the, the work happens to get it to right. court. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the the other interesting thing, too, was you, you, you led with talking about being a first 
you know, uh, uh, you know, first time born, you know, in the U.S. and and you talked about your your family's history and, and where they came from. Since that that led the discussion and, and the way you described yourself, it, it must be important in kind of how you see the way you come to the world. Yeah, I I think it that's a good observation. Um, I think founders come in all shapes and forms and all ages and all backgrounds, but there's a unifying characteristic that I've seen great founders have, which is that they have grit. They have this desire to overcome obstacles and often they'll see challenges as opportunities. I think that's really a, a characteristic. And I think a lot of immigrants and first generation and, and maybe even second generation Americans have that sense of grit and still where things, you don't expect things to come easy. Um, and, and so that I think has shaped my lens of the world uh, in many ways. And, and certainly, you know, how I think about building a business too. It's always funny like you hear the amazing stories of our like grandparents and parents who, you know, as they came to the country and you always hear these stories of literally you know, getting on a boat with like $12 in their pocket. Yeah. You know what people would do right now if they had $12 in their pocket and they got on a boat, they'd go to the Starbucks and yeah. they would spend <laughs> eight of those $12. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that, you know, I, when you're close to it, you see so many of these stories, but in the broader sense of you know, how many people are, you know, either founders or even more so distill it down to successful founders and are able to go through that facing adversity. And like effectively, you're anybody that tells you, you know, I've got this great idea and I'm going to take make a business out of it. Most people tell you it's a pretty fundamentally terrible idea. Like it's not the idea is bad, but making a business out of it it's not going to be, there's nothing right. easy about this. <laughs> easy to glamorize. Yeah. I think the, that's also why, like you said, you know, let's actually go through some of the stories and, and, and get further into where it works, what, where it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so how many lessons when you were thinking entrepreneurial and then you chose, you went to Harvard when you were going to Harvard, this is also one of the other sort of like hero stories we always hear is the, you know, the founder that goes to Harvard and then leaves or whatever. Like all, there's all sorts of stories about, you know, whether you should or shouldn't go to university. Uh, you know, how does it inform your future in entrepreneurship? I'm curious, Warren, as you went, you made the choice to go. And then when you came out, you got into investments and, and venture. What was your mindset? on either side of the university experience? I don't think when I went to college, it was so in vogue to think about not going to college. I think that's become a more, that's a more recent topic of discussion. Um, I, you know, my parents went through a lot of financial difficulty and I actually ended up living with friends for, for half of high school. Um, and I, you know, was fortunate to, to win over $30,000 in scholarships and, um, get really generous financial aid to, to, to go to Harvard. So it was, um, I, it, it hadn't really entered my mind to not go to college. And I sort of had this roadmap in mind, which was, I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial or something creative or both. And, but I wanted to de-risk and have, you know, make some money early in life, be able to invest it and compound it and, uh, and then take a, you know, quote unquote risk, um, a little bit later. So, 
I don't know exactly when that game plan got formatted. I, I think I read a lot of books um, and I think I probably came across some book that basically showed me the value of compounding money if you're 20 versus when you're 30, right? If you can like put some money in the stock market when you're 20 versus 30, it can be triple, you know, uh, what it's worth um, when you want to retire. So that that is how I sort of hedged, I guess, my my uh, life risk. Well, and it's telling in the way you described it as well, right? That you de-risk before you take on risk. And I, that's another uh, successful founder sort of lesson. I've, in what I've talked to a lot of folks is that most of founding and operating a company is spent in continuously de-risking the environment. I think that's right. Yeah. And the faster you can de-risk, the better. And this is something that it's so hard. And even for me, I, I, mean, I still have to continually learn this as, and this is going back to why build a course in public, right? You want to get validation super fast before I spend six months making a course on raising some money. Like, let me see if anybody even cares, right? If I'm giving it right. for free and it's live, like, will anyone join? And, you know, look, 250 people signed up and that was a really strong signal to me. I'm like, oh, wow, there's real demand here for this topic. So the, the faster you can de-risk, the better, whether it's financially or, or intellectually. Um, I, I think that's a great, heuristic to look for. And obviously you were definitely in the risk and de-risk business when you got into the investment side coming at a school. Uh, you know, so taking on risk at scale, you, you jumped right in. Uh, you know, what, what was that early part of it, you know, as you now could take the successes of what you're effectively, what your family gave you, you know, this, this heart to do this thing. And now here you are, you can, like you said, you, you won, you worked to get scholarships, you got through this, now you're on the other side. It must've been a pretty proud thing, but also a fairly daunting uh, task to take on, right? That you are suddenly, okay, we did it. Now what? <laughs> what was that like on the other side now when you went, got into the investment uh, world? Yeah. Um, so when you say I, I did it, are you referring to getting a job in finance or what? Yeah. What yeah. Just like that. You, you, you literally pushed right through versus, you know, you know, you, you didn't take a, a journeyman's job and, and then just choose to ride it out until retirement. You, you went right. right into an area where you, you could pretty much affect the outcome, which is again, sort of a bold, uh, you know, choice in that you, you knew you were taking on risk, but you know, you obviously had both sides of it in your mind. Are you saying the decision to leave finance to go work in startups? To enter finance as as that route, like you got right into the game. Oh yeah, money. <laughs> I mean, I think you know, I I really again, it goes back to this idea of de-risking to take risk, right? So I really thought, well, this is a great opportunity to learn some hard skills, right? No matter what finance is, is the underbelly of of any venture. Uh, so, and coming out of a liberal arts college, I thought it'd be great to have that practical tangible skill of knowing how to financial model and, and understand thinking about in, investing um, and, and really what investing is, it's maximizing rewards and minimizing risks. And, and when you extrapolate that out of finance, you realize that basically every decision is an investment decision. You have a limited amount of time and attention and you have to decide where to invest it, right? And the people who think about investing their time versus spending their time, those are the people who end up being really successful because those little micro decisions compound, right? So if you spend time, you're basically doing something where you're not learning, you're not adding value to anyone else, you're not really treating yourself, your body in a healthy way, that's time spent. If you're investing time, you're, you're reading, you're learning, you're writing, you're teaching, you're 
meeting somebody new, those, those are things that, that accumulate and, and compound. So, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, going back to your, your question, um, the risky thing to me, I realized was, and, and I got this because I read a lot of books, was ending up at the end of life and, and wishing I had taken, done something else and tried, right? And it's yeah. such a cliche now, but it's, it's so important that people know that most people on their deathbed, they regret the things they didn't do, the things that they didn't try. And so I knew that I would regret not taking a chance and that it would actually be risky not to take a quote unquote risk by going and trying something different. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought process. It's it's tough for us, I think, as humans to look far forward and and regret is such a driver. You know, and even you look at all of the the work around the heuristics and behavioral economics, and one of the biggest drivers is regret. You know, we will make decisions, we will do make choices wholly based on our sense of potential regret, mm. more so than the value that we would get out of it. We are much more driven by the the wish that we had something which is why when you make bets and you know you look at the sort of works of of Kahneman and Tversky yeah so much of it was wrapped around this pervasive effect that regret has on human decision making yeah i mean the whole field of behavioral economics that they pioneered is so powerful right and once you once you become aware of these cognitive limitations you can work around them right this idea of like loss aversion and sunk costs and confirmation bias i mean it, that's a that's a great book. Or I mean, I read the Michael Lewis. Uh, oh, uh, the Undoing Project. That is so good. Yeah, story. I weeped like a baby at the end of it when when uh, I won't give the spoiler, but it's just such a beautiful human story. And, yeah. Oh yeah, I've uh, I studied. The funny thing is, I'd studied a lot of of Kahneman, Tversky, and and sort of uh, Pinker, and and a lot of I, I was very deep into that game on self-study for a long time. Yeah. And I, when I got the Michael Lewis book, I was like, oh, wow, this totally makes sense now. <laughs> Such a profound, just emotional story about how they approached it. And it's funny that, you know, you've, they were, it, it just didn't make sense that it would even happen. That the fact that here we are, we have behavioral psychologists that would win Nobel Prize for economics. And, and yet we think it's standard game these days, right? Totally. Yeah, it was. Everyone, it was up until then, it was, oh, people are rational. Right? <laughs> oh, no, wait, no, no, we're very far from it. Fairly far from it. In fact, we're predictably irrational. Totally. It's so, so funny. Now, this is the interesting thing as well. You know, there's a lot of sort of timing that works out in, in being able to bring a business, um, you know, and obviously the technology is there to do this and Knowable has such a, a great opportunity. So bringing knowledge and you know nutritive you know brain injections effectively in an attention economy you know how do you approach things knowing that you are effectively fighting for cohesive time blocks in somebody's day great question yeah our our vision statement our why the, the reason for being for our company is we want to live in a world i want to live in a world where daily actionable learning is as addictive as social media is today. And so we know that, look, social media is so addictive. It is, it's, it's weaponized distraction. And we wanna push the bounds of, of how people spend and invest their time, right? Because it's so easy to, for people to spend their time on social media to just end up scrolling. And you know, there's a lot of benefits to the platforms, but so many people just get sucked in 
and end up consuming and, and, and not taking knowledge and applying it and, and actually improving their life. So, uh, you know, we think a lot about how do we use those behavioral psychology hacks that social media platforms are using to make knowable more addictive. And, and look, we're in the early days of, of our product development, but we think things like streaks and habits and social pressure, that's all getting built into the product to really create this atmosphere of, hey, when I go to knowable, I know that I'm doing something good for myself and it's also fun and it feel good. I get that reward. Right. You've probably read some of the, the habit books like Atomic Habits or right, do his yeah. book on habits, right? Reward is so important to, to, to creating a habit. And so that's something that we're working on uh, building more into the product so that you're not just doing it for the, for the, for the knowledge sake, but because there is some you know, productized gamification that makes you feel invested in, and good in the, in the process too. Yeah, and the 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 real truth of the they call it the click were like it's the thing that just gets triggered, you know, of like these are they're they're behavioral things that are baked into us, uh, and using it for positive results, which is which is interesting. Like yeah, I said, when we describe it, we talk about time spent in social media. How much time are you spending in social media? No one says how much time are you investing in social media. No. it is spending purely yeah, spending. Well, <laughs> I mean, look, it's like a, any tool, right? You know, a hammer can be used for a nail or it can be used for uh, for, for uh, more illicit purposes. So, yeah. so it depends how you use it. I mean, I think there are ways to invest time in social media, but I think uh, a lot of people cross over the, the border pretty fast and pretty far and so spending their time. Yeah, what's well, interesting too as a as a student in, at least in reading of, I didn't actually attend Stanford, but uh, of BJ Fogg, and sort of this whole idea of persuasive computing, I studied that for quite a while. And then, you know, mm. you see the stuff that Tristan Harris is doing around uh, humane computing and, and, and you know, ethics in, yeah. in AI. Um, the tough part was that more people will use BJ Fogg's material as the wrong side of the hammer right. <laughs> than, right. than the right side, which is unfortunate, you know, especially when you see kids, like you've got little kids, you see them like, I can watch my my youngest son pick up an iPad and, and just tap. Yeah. He knows what to do. Like they built it. Makes complete sense to him. Yeah. And then along comes an ad. And like, so the funny thing is I taught him to skip commercials real quick. Yeah. But like the fact that he just sits through it now and it's like, uh, yeah. How did, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> it used a to break of, up an hour people, of our day. Right. A lot of smart people applying that, those behavioral, uh, inefficiencies. Yeah. To, if only they would build enterprise software that way, then it may actually get adopted. This. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that I think that is happening. I, I do think you know we are. Funny you mentioned that, right? With Knowable, we're seeing a lot of opportunities on the enterprise side where, hey, we can employees. You know, L and D is really important for for big organizations today. Um, L and D stands for for learning and development and uh, and upskilling. Uh, but look, if if you ask somebody to sit and watch a training video. At their computer that's competing with their work time but right. if you give somebody something that they can listen to when they go for a walk or on their commute um that that opens up a lot of enterprise time so so that's something that we're thinking about actively too of how do we actually make workforces better um how can we create a diversity and inclusion course that makes you really want to listen and make a difference yeah and i think using those techniques in any way in the learning development space especially in the enterprise like 
because we all know everybody who's listening to this, who's works for a company and you get that annual, it's like, oh, it's the compliance training, right. anti, anti-money laundering training. Right. And it's like, you're just horrified with the fact that you have to waste like five hours of your day and you're like fast forwarding as much as you can and, and they make it so that you can't fast forward. You have yeah. to, you know, but yeah, to actually make it engaging yeah. and, and make it worth their time. And that's effectively what you're doing is you're giving them a sense of worth yeah. for having done it. That's right. Yeah, I think there's certainly room for improvement there. Now, the the things that you you're doing, it definitely there's a very positive spin in so much of what you do. And I can, it's like it's natural. Even when you tried to describe a bad thing you could do with a hammer, you really got stuck. And it's so <laughs> cool because you it must be again sort of like baked into you that what's the most positive thing I could do as a result of what I'm about to do. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's funny, I just started reading the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And it's, so, I love, it's amazing. This guy, just truly the, the OG of self-improvement and positive thinking. And I think there's so much power to it. Um, and it really is just what filter do you apply to the world? Because you can see things in, in many different ways. And, and I do think one of the benefits of our human brains is that we have the ability to decide how we react to things, right? There is a there is a, a control mechanism between stimulus and response. So uh, I, I think the more we can view things with a positive lens and see problems as opportunities, the, the better we'll all be. Yeah, try to get in front of the old amygdala hijack, as they call it, right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. Lizard brain, useful, sometimes very useful, but oftentimes gets in the way in, in modern society. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting that I've, even at, through my team at work, we've gotten, we've had to make a lot of really heavy decisions lately, and it's mm -hmm. it creates some rather animated group discussions. And I say that, like, you know, 10-year version ago of me would have said like some really crazy arguments, but they really truly are animated discussions. And we've become, as we age, I think much better at like recognizing when, ah, so what I'm hearing you saying is this. And when you start to respond to things, totally. it's very different than, you know, 20-year-old me would have been like, look. And like my favorite thing is people say, like, if you're writing an email and it sounds like you're going to begin with look comma you're going to want to get up and walk around for a bit before you finish yeah. that sentence <laughs> that's right yeah you don't send emails when you're emotional uh 100 I, I think that you know i mentioned this course unknowable called speak with confidence and celeste headley uh, one of the other experts in that course is julian treasure this guy has he has 80 million views across his ted talks on the subject of communication and, and he's written this book of basically about how to listen and there's this big realization of most people when they're in a conversation they're listening to respond they're not listening to understand. Right. And what you just did, what you said is so great, which is repeat back, kind of paraphrase back what somebody says, because it helps you actually understand what they said. It moves it from the one part of the brain to the other. And then it helps them also feel heard, which is fundamentally what most people want. They want to feel heard, appreciated, and understood. And so I think improving as a listener is it's a huge way to become a better communicator and conversationalist and learner in person and friend and partner. Um, and that's something that, that I still still work on. Um, I'll give you one tip. We have another course uh, that's led by an improv comedian named Will Hines. Um, he's part of the Upright Citizen Brigade, which is the oh, yeah, yeah. one that Andy Poehler started. So they, we did yeah. a, a course in partnership with them. 
on improv and and I had the chance to interview him after the course was done. He he shared this great bit of wisdom, which I really liked, which is after somebody finishes talking, pause for half a second before you respond, because it gives your brain time to actually think about what they said, and then allows you some time to think about how to reply so that you're not spending the whole time when they're talking, wondering, okay, I, let me, here's what I want to add to this. Yeah, that's right. We most of the time it's more like your turn to talk, your turn to talk, your turn, your turn to my talk, turn, my turn, turn to talk. Turn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's talking, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. What am I going to say? Okay, I can't wait to tell him about this thing I did. Yeah. Well, it's like when you do improv. My favorite. I, I I messed around with a with a group of folks, and we we they they like were doing improv stuff, and I got to jump in for a while, and it was fun. And the whole thing is like yes and right. It's like the whole idea, like carrying this forward. And I would just for fun just come in and just say like no, no, no. Just, <laughs> just completely shut it down. And it's funny that the way in which you effectively pick up the conversation, you have the chance to either yes and carry yeah. it forward, or you know, and even like you said, when you listen. And you want to say something back to somebody, tell them what you heard. And because right. the way in which you say it too is important. It's not just that what you're saying is what I'm hearing you say is. Yes, totally. It sounds like, to me, it feels like right. <laughs> you, you put it through your own personal lens. It's, yeah, crazy. The, I found this very helpful for, uh, for marital conversations, right? I have, we have three kids under four. And so it, we're short on time. And so we wow, really yeah. have to get better at how we talk with each other and and really listen because it's so easy to just try to be understood and not try to understand that's the default and it's a continuing thing like even therapists totally. need therapists like yeah. it's not like yeah. no one's no one's perfect at this stuff we're always yeah. trying to figure it out and it's harder on some days than others and totally. Uh. Totally. yeah but i i, I think uh, this is where this kind of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And I think it sounds like that's what you were, you were alluding to, right? Is this idea of, well, it's a skill that you can get better at, right? You don't, a lot, I think a lot of people approach certain things like relationships as it's either works or it doesn't, it's binary. And don't take on the idea of, oh, I can improve at this, right? I can, I can learn to manage this relationship better. And, and that growth mindset, I think is really powerful. And, and the more people have it, I think, the better our society will be. Yeah, just the, there's a lot of things, stuff like uh, journaling, future authoring, stuff where you're effectively envisioning, you know, kind of what's what's ahead, and then you it helps you to actually define it. Because when you're working it out, and especially when you're physically writing it out, it it does imprint it effectively on your mind that like this is a goal, and yeah, you know, it's uh, it's kind of neat. So, I mean, that's a thought for you know, a question for you, Warren. Where, how do you go from idea to uh, I'm, we're going to do more with this idea? What's that process, you know, look like as an example? So as it relates to startups, there's this common, commonly thrown around acronym, which is minimum viable product. And the basic concept of it is, is that you want to learn as fast as you can, whether anyone is going to care about what your idea is, what your solution is, right? So again, I'm going to repeat it. Start with a problem. Start with a group of people who have a problem and figure out, okay, is this solution going to solve their problem? Are they gonna, is it sufficiently different or better for them to care? And would they pay me money or would somebody else pay me money at some point if enough people used this solution that I'm putting out in the world? And you wanna find that out as soon as possible. So rather than you know, waiting six years and making your perfect dating app uh, that 
you just try manually to figure out, okay, can I connect two people and are they going to care? Right. I'm using my quote unquote algorithm. Uh, can I connect two people? Right. Um, and, and so, so you really want to do things that in the beginning that don't necessarily scale and that's okay. Um, but you're looking for signal. You're looking for a sign that you've made something and somebody else cares about it. And the best signal in my mind is you make something, you give it to somebody and they share it with somebody else unsolicited, right? That's such a clear sign of, oh, wow, that I made something useful. That's, that's what you're looking for, right? So you read a book and you give it to one person and they give it to five more people. That's, that's, that's signal. Yeah. Well, and talk on the reading side of it. And, you know, if I look at what I really love about your platform and your content approach is that when I get an audiobook, it's read by a professional reader, like a professional voice actor. And you, you even, you, you get to know them when you, when you listen to enough of them, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I don't know their names, but I'm like, I remember another book that they've read. Yeah. So what, what I love is that when you're doing a course by Scott Kelly, it's Scott Kelly. It's not Scott yeah. Kelly wrote this and then a professional voice actor is hammering yeah. it out in a in a small soundproof room. You are you're getting the real deal. All of your content creators are they create the content, they voice the content. That's right. So cool, right? I there's nothing better than when you get an audiobook that's read by the author, especially when they're a personality. Uh, you know, because you know they invested the time to do it. Yeah. And oh, it feels 100%. Feels more like you're you're actually like sitting in the room with them. It's, it's so authentic. Cool. I I'm so I'm so on the same page. I think we're not not everyone agrees with us there. I think there are some people who just prefer the professional narrator. And but I am totally in that camp of I want to hear Jerry Seinfeld read Jerry Seinfeld's book. Right? <laughs> right. I want that voice. I don't want some random person who doesn't appreciate comedy reading that book. Yeah, hear a professional voice actor. So what's the deal with? Uh, you're like, <laughs> no, no, it's it's got to be this, <laughs> his thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely there's there's so many nuances that and it's funny at the end of it too, you very much feel a part of their story. Totally. Yeah, you feel like you've just spent time with that. I mean, they've been in your brain. They're so intimate. It's in your ear canal, right? And they've been whispering sweet nothing because you've been walking and driving for the world. Yeah. But what does blow it up though is that I've definitely gotten to the point where I listen to a lot of books at like 1.7. Mm. <laughs> when you hear somebody talk and they sound like they're talking very, you know, like you don't sound like that at all. <laughs> like, button. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're so used to the, so we're going to do is we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this, like, Cause you're just trying to get it in as quickly as possible. That's the downside yeah. to, you know, that long, really long form book content is that when you see one and you're like, 17 hours yeah you're looking down at this like i'm not ready if i'm, I'm i know if i'm ready to take this one on but luckily yeah. i think like netflix opening up the idea of like episodic content being able to consume in batches or yeah. across time like there's no right way to consume episodic content and then this audio content follows the same format like yeah. in the 70s They'd have told us that no one will go more than 30 minutes and retain interest in right. a program, right? right? One hour programs was like, I don't know if this is a good idea. You know, right. uh, people love Lucille Ball, but I don't think they're going to love an hour of her. Right. Uh, they'd have loved 17 straight hours of her <laughs> if, if it, yeah. the truth was told, right? If we actually yeah. let them try it. So it's so yeah. cool that we can be now, you can 
you can go, you can get a knowable, you know, course underway. And you yeah. can take a break. You can that's right. Tomorrow. Yeah, kind of at your at your own pace. And you know, there's certainly been times where I had a long drive, and I was so grateful to have a 17 hour audiobook. Right. Oh, yeah. Today, I don't. I'm not commuting, so I don't want the. I want the short and sweet version. Yeah. Well, and this is the interesting thing is you've, you know, been you know the platform's been been going for a while. Did you see? sort of a marked difference in in patterns of utilization as we saw the world kind of shift the way we operated. Yeah, I think I think COVID has halted some of the acceleration in audio consumption. Certainly I know for myself, because I'm not commuting and listening to less audio. It just and I think a lot of people are in that same boat. But I, I think that it will come back. I, I do think that um, people will also just get screen fatigue and and going back to this idea of habit, what we really want to uh, inculcate is this idea that knowable is something that you can go take on a on a break, right? You can go for a walk or a run and put in your headphones and know that you're going to listen to something that has a potential to a lesson that can change your life for the better that week. Right? So I, I think that uh, we'll we'll see new behaviors and patterns emerge. Yeah, and I think that is the that's the what I love about what you're doing. And like I said, Warren, it comes out in so much of what you the way you even describe it. You can just tell. It's in there. It's like we we want to. What's a meaningful, positive impact that I can have as a result of the content? This is right. not just going to be fluff. I mean, good on right. Everybody, there's Harlequin romances for a reason, right? Somebody somebody out there loves that side of the story. Uh, yeah. fantastic. But you know, we have such a great opportunity, and especially when we're in this real sort of challenged attention economy. Yep. When we don't have time away, like you said, that you know, you realize we all despise commuting, but once we learned how to do things while we were commuting, that was a real opportunity sometimes to learn, to read, totally. even just detach yeah. and going for a run. So I, I'm a cyclist and I, I love, one of my favorite things is that the moment that I put my leg over the crossbar and I clip in my pedals and I start turning the pedals, I'm immediately in a different mindset because I know for the next four hours, I have no way that I can type. I have no way that right. I can listen. I have no, I am literally, it's me yeah. and an introspective mind for four hours, which can right. be a really dangerous place, man, depending on what your mindset <laughs> is. But it's it's this beautiful sort of forcing function. Yeah. Like when I get in a plane, that was my thing. When I get into a plane, people are like, you know what I hate is that the internet on planes is really terrible. I'm like, you know what I I love that I've never found out because I, I when I'm on a plane, yeah. it's me, white noise, I can actually do other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same way. I think that downtime is really important, and uh, so just forcing yourself or putting yourself in situations where you you don't have to use willpower to resist the weapons of mass distraction. That's uh, <laughs> yes, right. a smart, smart way to design you your environment. You talked about UCB. And I know from reading a bit about you, Warren, that you uh, you took a little time on the microphone yourself uh, on on improv and, and stand up. Talk about minimum viable product and finding a product market fit. Taking <laughs> material, you know, two minutes on a microphone at an open mic feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah, so cool, but it's like oh. So what what drove you to take a run at that, and and what was the experience like? I have always I've always been a fan of humor. I think humor is such a great tool in the chest of life. And it feels like people who have a great sense of humor, they're able to go over the bumps of life 
so much better and easier and right and, and levity. So I've just always appreciated comedians. I because my parents are immigrants, I think they let me watch a lot more TV than they I probably should have. And I watched a lot <laughs> of Simpsons when I was a kid. And so that really influenced my my style of humor. Um I think I'm not, I think I'm squarely medium funny. You know, sometimes I can can make someone laugh, but most of the time it's it's a miss. Uh so I but it was something that scared me and I really like this idea of doing things that that scare at me because often on the other side of that is a sense of growth and so I agree I think it's really scary to go up on stage and uh, just have a microphone and talk to a room full of strangers and try to get laughter but I think it's also such an exciting format because the feedback is so objective right and in a world where there's a lot of subjective value right you don't know well how how good am I did I do a good job or are people just being nice uh having being able to say something and then hear whether or not somebody laughs or not, you know whether how you performed. And so I think that objective feedback is also exhilarating and exciting. Um, uh, and a bit of advice I got on, on stand-up was talk about the stuff that you're embarrassed about because that's the stuff that it's honest and most people will relate to it in some way, or at least a certain subset of people will relate to it. And uh, I, I think that's humor is, you know, uh, usually a, a, a byproduct of a sense of relief, right? This idea of like, oh, like you have that? Oh, okay, I have that too. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because you effectively you're just like anything, you know, when you're you're laying yourself bare, right? You are going on a stage to present. You're you're going to do stand up. You're you're surrendering yourself to the audience for that period of time and hoping that they will carry you through this ride. And it's very much an interactive experience, which is what's funny. People always ask me, like, because I I've been lucky enough through the course of my career to do a lot of like public speaking and and, yeah. and getting some large audience. I used to be in a band years ago, so Ooh. I've I was fairly familiar with being on a stage, but it still scares me all the time. And totally. because you don't know, it's it's a dynamic experience. And I would and I would describe it, and I I help people with coaching for public speaking, and I would mm. say. I call it listening to 5,000 people at a time because what you're doing is you're effectively letting them guide your talk. You may already have some kind of points that you want to hit, right? but you have to let them steer you. You're looking in the audience. You're seeing the person in the front row who's like leaning back and chuckling when you say a joke and you're looking at the person who's in the third row who's looking down on their phone all like from the moment you start like, okay, I'm not watching that person for signals yes. because they are not invested in it. Yeah, but it's the audience themselves, you know, and at stand up, especially, they're already invested in a way to the upcoming hour, right? Or five minutes, whatever, because they've made right. a point. I'm in this chair. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving you a chance, kid. So yep. <laughs> let's see what you got. <laughs> totally, I like I like that. Listening to five thousand people at the same time—that's a good, a good way of thinking about it. In the end. It's just, as, well, as well, even the hour, like when you see a comedian and they do an hour, what I see is 11 months of somebody doing five minute bits and two minute bits, like just testing it out and working it out. And that real, like they truly call it working out material. It's yeah. like a gym membership. You're going every day and trying it out and you're testing in small rooms and on your family and friends and wherever. Right. And, eventually you glue together stuff that's in a flow that's in an yeah. hour it's uh so when you you know when you're a people-based business like yeah 
it sounds to me like that's been a focus of you is that you've always looked at a personal effect as an outcome of anything that you create. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we're all, most of us are humans. Um, so I think <laughs> keeping that in mind and thinking about how do you want someone to feel? What's the outcome that you want when they use your, your product or service? I think is, is a great systems level way to think about what you're working on. And sadly, it's a, a more rare sometimes than than we realize. I, I mean, I don't think it f truly is. Like we hear, of course, some of the, the tough stories and like, I mean, there's obviously, like you said, when you get into venture, when people say like, oh yeah, like congratulations on your venture funding. You almost want to say like, no, 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 no not necessarily <laughs> nope, all good nope, news. It means to an end, yep, yeah. <laughs> that is a person who's betting on you to get an outsized return on their investment. And you've got, uh, the timer is ticking now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's definitely a, a double-edged sword uh, for lack of a better phrase. I think that um, yeah, I think a lot of entrepreneurs confuse raising money with succeeding as a business. And I, you know, really the goal is to not have to raise money, right? Yeah. The goal is you have a business that people, they love so much, they're paying you and you're funding through your customers. But, you know, there's certainly advantages to, to funding and I don't want to, I don't want to dismiss it totally or, or be ungrateful to work with great investors, which, which you know, I certainly am. Um, but, but there are, there are downsides and it is a calculated risk like anything else. Yeah. And, and it's, there definitely is, as you say, like sort of this idea of like a revenue funded business is fantastic. Yeah. But of course there's going to be limitations. There's going to be advantages, yep. disadvantages. And, yep. and uh, you know, like in your folks that you've worked with, you've chosen people that have, have been successful. They've got a high bar for their ethics to the way that they approach it, which is important as well. Right. Cause yep. there, there are a lot of places that people could go to get money that are, are purely, you know, just uh, accounting driven, uh, and so I like that in looking through sort of your investors and, and the folks that you work with in the market. Uh, I can appreciate their approach to it because I've seen, you know, their impact on the world. And, and is really, we are trying to do good things, you know, through technology and such. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that in general, finding partners who are playing a long game is, is so valuable, right? Who, who are playing multiple rounds because, uh, the firm, they care about the reputation. They cared about, you know, doing a, uh, supporting businesses that are doing good um, and aren't just totally bottom line focused, right? Because they know that if they're only funding businesses that hurt people, then long term, their value will diminish. So, so I think find people who play the long game, whether it's a financial partner or a business partner or you know, life partner. When you chose to start your own venture and and get into you know funding it and 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 such obviously you're well, i should say i i shouldn't say obviously i shouldn't lead with that like it would seem to me that your history in finance would have helped you to inform how to approach that part of the the business building uh, how important was it that you had been intimate with the industry of finance as you went to actually raise funding? I think, I think it's helpful to know your customer in whatever situation you're in. And so when you're trying to capitalize your business, what you're effectively doing is you're selling equity. So it is by definition, you're, you're doing it. It's a sales process. And one of the best things that the best salespeople do is they have empathy for their counterparty. And so really putting yourself in the shoes of the investors is helpful because you understand what are their needs and how can I fulfill them? So I, I 
did this presentation yesterday. I'm doing this course on, on fundraising. And I, my second tip is basically know your customer and know what venture investors want and how their math works. And the way their math works is they're really trying to find the next Facebook, the next Pinterest, the next Snapchat, the next multi-billion dollar company, because that is what really drives their returns. Uh, there, there's a, a Scott Kapoor, he's a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, put, put out a book recently called The Secrets of Sand Hill Road. And he has this chart in there, which shows that 60% of the returns for venture investors come from 6% of the deals. So yeah. when you're pitching to investors, you really want to pitch this idea that you can be one of those 6% companies, right? That you're going to be that company that can really drive outsized returns. And knowing that and having empathy for what the investors needs and wants are puts you in a better position to find a partner who you're going to, to jive with. Yeah, that's actually such a good read that will scare you out of ever going towards venture because you you realize how much is behind the scenes of you know it's the age of the funds, the 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 percentage of returns that have already come back into the, it's, it. It is an incredible set of mathematics and and behaviors that will drive how an investor will come at, at a particular point in time. So it's a it is a very very well well done, and I loved how transparent. Uh, Scott was as part of the the discussion because it's not often people kind of share the math and the process behind the math, right? Uh, which is which is pretty wild. I agree. Uh, so uh, for folks that want to find out more, and I will make sure they do. Uh, I I will be uh, I'll, we'll we'll talk beyond here about you know you know how I can help to expand the the brands. You know, Noble is just so fantastic, and and I appreciate you taking the time with me today, Warren. This is. A real pleasure, and uh, you're you're doing good things, and and like I said, it's sadly it's as it's more rare than than it should be, um, but it's so nice when you see people that are becoming successful as a result of the good things they're doing, and it's well deserved. Thank you so much for that kind words, Eric. I really enjoy the conversation. It's nice, it's really energizing and fun to talk with someone who's so well read and so interested in and learning. And uh, I, I'm sure we could have talked for, for multiple hours uh, easily. And I look forward to continuing the conversation. We'll have to have, we'll do a noble course on how to have a two-way conversation on financing and venture capital. <laughs> I would, I would it is, uh, this was really, really cool. So again, for folks, if they want to connect with you online, Warren, what's the best way that they can reach out? The best way to find me is on Twitter. My handle is at WWShafe, S-H-A-E-F. And you can also find uh, Knowable at knowable.fyi. And uh, those are the best places to, to find me and Knowable. Perfect. Yeah, I'll make sure we have links in the show notes as well. And uh, and I'll uh, I'll definitely be, I'll be before, long before we got to today, I wanted to, to sort of talk about things, you know, through the course of the discussion, but I'm definitely, I'm keen, you know, if it's valuable, I'd love to contribute content towards the platform. It's just such a, such a great opportunity. So Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's talk more about your book uh, because I think that's a really easy way to get started. Um, so so we, we should have an offline conversation about that. We're in good shape. Warren, thank you very much for spending the time today. Uh, and uh, I'll say happy 2021. We're, 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 we're around the corner on a lot of things and we've got some, some good stuff ahead. Uh, and for folks, definitely, if you want to hear great stuff like this, head over to Knowable because you're, you get to hear it from the, from the creator's voice, uh, which is, in my, my view, one of the best ways to learn. Thanks again, Eric.